What's up then listeners? Welcome to another episode of the Midge and the Keg NFL podcast. Host as usual, Billy. Joining me, my co-host Jimbo. Hello everyone, what's up? And today we have joining us for Cincinnati Bengals episode of off-season talk, we have the unofficial Bengals podcast. Joining us today, how are we doing sir? Great to be on Midge and the Keg, I'm very excited to talk some Bengals with you guys. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, I'll just let you uh, introduce yourself um, in terms of your page and all your plug, you know, plugins, everything else like that. So I'll let you have the floor there. You go for it. Yeah. So anyway, my name is Frank LaPlaca and I am the host of the unofficial Bengals podcast. And you can find it at Cincy Bengals pod on Instagram and Twitter. So that's the way you find the show. Go check it out. I'm sure if you like the Bengals, it's going to be a fun show for you to listen to. Awesome. Good, good stuff. Right, so we'll go straight into it for you, Frank. So um, this season for the Bengals, obviously coming into it, you've had Joe. Uh, obviously, had the, you had the number one pick, Joe Burrow being your your pick for that one, hoping to be your quarterback for the future. A little bit up and down. I'd like to sort of say what I saw of the Bengals last year. You had, you know, you had quite a few injuries. You know, just sort of up and down the roster. Obviously, Joe Burrow being that main one with a quite a significant knee injury. Uh, in week 11. Obviously, he, he did show some promise. You know, he's obviously a rookie. You're obviously going to, you know, he is a building project for you guys. Obviously, I'd hope he'd like to turn out well. He looks to have a lot of promise about him. Obviously, that knee injury, you know, knock on wood, he'll, he'll recover nicely from that and not have it to plague him too much. Obviously, finishing last in a very, very, very tough division. You know, I think obviously other than you guys, the Browns, the Ravens and the Steelers all got into the playoffs. Now, how do you think, I'll just sort of go straight into it, how do you think the season went as a whole? Obviously, not what you're expecting, but obviously, you know, when you're losing Joe Burrow to injury, it was never going to end up well for you for that one. Yeah, actually, good question. So when the season started, we had a whole bunch of free agents that we signed. And truthfully, most of them ended up getting hurt. So that kind of defeated that whole effort that we made in the offseason. And, you know, you went into it, with Joe Burrow being a highly decorated college quarterback. You know, I watched the film on him. You analyzed his game. It looked like it was going to translate to the NFL, but there was still that big mystery. So the season starts, you know, we played the opening day game. He, he looks a little, a little wide eyed for that first half. And you're like, all right, you know, you expect him to come out of the gate like that because he had no preseason, but then the second half of that game, the lights started to go on against the Chargers, and he led this drive at the end of the game, which almost had them win the game. There was a missed field goal, and you realized, wow, this guy might have it. So that was the kind of season that it was. You, you know, Going into it, you just didn't know what to expect, and then once it started, you were like, wait a minute, this guy can play quarterback. And he just continued to get better and better week after week. And, you know, you can almost associate it to what the Chiefs went through in the Super Bowl. You know, you had Joe Burrow running for his life. And they were making that kid throw the ball constantly. So it was a really tough hill for him to climb. And, um, you know, we saw what happened to Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I mean, he was getting eaten up because his offensive line wasn't performing. And that was a lot of what we saw out of Joe Burrow when he was in there. So the season started to turn around for us because he was getting better and better. He was kind of carrying the team by himself at that point. Joe Mixon had went down and it looked like, you know, for, there was a, a time there where I was like, we might be a 500 team this year, the way it's looking. And, and you know, you start drinking the Kool-Aid thinking maybe we'll make the playoffs. I, I know I was a little premature. And then 
you know, a couple more losses came and then he got hurt against the Redskins and everything just kind of turned around at that point. And it was a little disappointing that the team couldn't really pick it up after that, after he went down. And, you know, that was kind of the, the story of the season. You know, you go in with a little mystery because you have a new quarterback, a lot of new players. Then you have this point in the middle where you're like, we're going to be good. And then you have that devastating, devastating injury. And then, you know, you realize that this isn't your year and the teams in your division ended up really playing well. And yet, like you said, all three of them went to the playoffs. So it was a tough division to be in and a tough thing to overcome with your franchise quarterback going down like that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's positive signs that he actually did sort of have some good games. And like you say, he's running for his life a lot of the time. So, you know, that's positive going forward. He's looks like he's going to be your guy. Uh, for the future, I think now it's just sort of rebuilding around him, making sure he's got some protection, you know, maybe get him a nice weapon to work with. I think that's probably, you know, how you're going to be going forward. Yeah, that, um, that's exactly it. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you on that, but yeah, I mean, we, we saw that T. Higgins is an, is an actual player and rookie wide receivers have a tough time adjusting right away. And you saw it, you know, after a handful of games, the light went on for him as well. So, you know, in the first and second round of last year, we have two players that should be with us for the long run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's all you want for a driver. You know, if you can pick up your, you know, your franchise quarterback. I mean, it's early days to be calling him that, but he's obviously shown the promise for that, and a nice weapon for him going forward. You know, that's a that's a good draft. And you know, yeah. they, they were a little reckless with with Joe Burrow because the game that he got hurt in against the Redskins in the first half. Now remember, they had a suspect offensive line the whole year. He was you know amongst one of the leaders in getting sacked. And in that first half against against the Washington football team, he threw like 30 some odd passes in the first half. And, and you know, that that goes to the coaching. That's a little reckless when you mm. when you know you have a bad line, but you still just say, I want to win the game at any cost. And the only thing that's working right now is Joe Burrow throwing the ball. So, hey, we're going to have him throw the ball 30 some odd times in the first half. So, you yeah. know, that that wasn't the right move, in my opinion, if you're going to think of this guy as the long term answer. Yeah, I think um, yeah. Obviously, he is your he is your asset. You know, you don't just spend the number one pick on anyone. You know, as much as you needed a quarterback, you know, all the signs point to him. Like you say, that there, there is strengths and signs that can point to Joe to being your franchise a franchise guy. You know, so you're sort of looking at it like that of how that can play out. Um, the one question I will sort of ask, obviously, going into sort of keeping on the recap sort of situation for the season. Because um, I've seen a couple of sort of Bengals forums that are sort of got to point the words correctly. Maybe, I suppose, so, I'm trying to think the same. I can't think of one. So I just sort of get to it. So it's more about Zach Taylor, obviously, your head coach. Do you think, like you say, there was a couple of questioning calls, obviously, that game where Joe did get injured. Obviously, like I say, I didn't realise that. Throwing 30 times in the first half, you know, that, that does go back on the coaching. But do you think... Zach Taylor and the rest of his staff are still going in the right direction. Do you think that's that's the best way they can keep going? You know, then you should give them a little bit more time, or or do you think a lot of Bengals fans are going to get a little bit more frustrated if, if they're not going to see some results moving forward? Yeah, I think Bengal fans are a little frustrated with the coaching staff. And you know, Zach Taylor is a great speaker. He's a very positive guy. He's very intelligent. He's got a good football mind. So you know, those things you start thinking, all right, you know, this could be the guy to, to build this with. And, you know, I kind of lost it a little bit after the, the Washington game, truthfully, because as I said a couple of times, I, it was kind of reckless coaching. And, you know, the defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, had some questionable calls. 
and had some questionable game calls and had some questionable relationships with some of the players. So I was really shocked to see him come back. You know, when I heard him like berating the players like that, I was like, I don't know if we should keep this guy around. And I was kind of, you know, I was on Coach Taylor's side for a while, but after the Burrow injury and the Anarumo thing, I was like, you know, maybe it is time for a change. But Mike Brown, the owner, it's he doesn't like to change things too quickly. You know, he's he has a lot of patience. I guess that's the best word for it. Yeah. So he's going to be patient with this coaching staff, and I guess they have one more year to prove it. And you know, that's that's good and bad because if they prove it, all right, now you have a stable coaching staff that's been here for a couple of years. If he, they don't improve. Now you're ripping it apart again. And now, you know, 2022 might be a rebuilding year. So we're really rolling the dice with this coaching staff. I hope it pans out. I really do like Coach Taylor as a person. But, you know, I guess time will tell. Yeah, I think it's very hard to sort of completely judge him on a, you know, when you've got a rookie QB in there. I think, you know, give him him a bit of time to work with him. Probably the best way to go about it. Like you say, did recklessly potentially cause his injury, but... You know, it's it's given him a bit of time to to work with a, a younger sort of offensive side. Yeah, with the, sorry, Jim, but yeah, with the coaching stuff. And like you pointed out, um, Frank, obviously it's a very good point. Obviously, you guys had Marvin Lewis for a very very long time. Obviously, you had a you know you had a few playoff runs. Obviously, they didn't pan out as well you wanted them to be. But you can obviously tell from you know from the owner's perspective, they are a very patient bunch from the sounds of it. So I think, like you say, I think they're not gonna blow you know blow anything just yet in terms of firing obviously mainly head coach or any any type of staff they're going to probably try and keep keep the core as much as possible and like and like you point out Jimbo they have they have a, a young guy you know it's a shame that obviously he got injured um to finish off his season but yeah if you if you can get some promise and get some start getting some results out of him I think that's definitely going to be the way they're going to be moving forward yeah, and I think that's what got got them to bring Coach Taylor back was the progress that Joe Burrow made without any training camp. So, you, you know, you have Coach Taylor and you have Dan Pitcher, the quarterback's coach, who Joe Burrow swears by. So as much as, you know, as much as I might have painted it as a negative with those guys, they were in – they were in, at some point responsible or, you know, partially responsible for Joe Burrow's success this year as well. Passing interference. Defense. Spot of the foul. Yeah, I yeah, mean, if we massive. if we move on to the um, sort of the cap for next year, then um, so you're currently sort of sitting, if it does drop to the 175 million, at about 38 million cap space for next year, which is just quite a good position, really. Um, a lot of teams struggling with it dropping. You got a few guys you're sort of looking at re-signing. AJ Green potentially moving on from is quite a large contract that probably sort of not really giving you the production for that sort of numbers. I mean, is there anyone here that you're sort of desperate to re-sign? Yes. Yes. So you're, you're exactly right. AJ Green was one of my favorite Bengals for a very long time. I hope he eventually goes to the Hall of Fame. I hope he goes in as a Bengal. But it did look like he lost a step this year. I mean, you know, I watched these games very closely and, you know, it kind of showed his age and his injury history kind of showed. But to get to your main question – I would say two. Of the, I'm seeing the list that you guys punched up with these yeah. players, and one of the two of the most important ones, Mackenzie Alexander, the slot cornerback that we got from the Vikings, had such an underdog great year. I mean, I was touting him on a weekly basis because when you watch the tape, you can see this guy was really doing his job constantly. You know, against the Steelers in that first game, he was shutting down Juju Smith-Schuster, and then Mackenzie Alexander actually went out after that. And then the whole bottom fell out on that game. Another player from this list is Kevin Huber. I mean, he's a great punter. 
you know, it's hard to lead the league in punting average. There's a lot of young legs around, but he's an intelligent punter who does change field position. Um, William Jackson. See, here's the thing with William Jackson, the third and Carl Lawson, the Bengals are very loyal to their own. So they like to re-sign their own guys, especially guys that have been in the system for a while. So I firmly believe that they're going to overpay for William Jackson and Carl Lawson this year. But, you know, I mean, you need, you need a starting corner and, you know, I don't disagree with re-signing Jackson, but I know they're going to throw the kitchen sink at him money-wise. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you are in a strong position money-wise to to sort of re-sign, you know, the, the main players you, you know, require. And I think if you re-sign both the guys you took there, like Alexander and William Jackson, you're, you're sort of in quite a strong position at corner in, in terms of not really needing to pick up, a, you know, a solid first-choice corner. Great yeah, point. I mean... Yeah. yeah, sorry, Frank. Yeah, oh, we, also, we talked about this, but and the main guys that stood out to me massively was them two corners. They they've been outstanding, like you pointed out, Frank. Mac- Mac- Mackenzie Alexander's had like a really under the what let's call it an under radar under the radar year. You know, in terms of the names that are in the league, like he done well. And like you say, that division's not. We point it out. I mean, I'd argue it's one of the toughest divisions in the league. You know, it, it you, there's a lot of weapons in. In that league, there's some high-powered offenses. You know, you've got the Pittsburgh that always, you know, they're always going to be tough to beat. You know, the Ravens and their, you know, their offense, you know, it, it, there's a lot to take on. So I think you definitely getting back Mackenzie Alexander, hopefully on a, hopefully a decent deal. Like you say, you do have money to play with. So it's not like you're going to try and be too tight with it. Obviously, William Jackson the third, I think is probably going to de- demand like top corner type money, depending what his camp, you know, what he's thinking, what the camp wants. But like you said, because you you know you're quite loyal to your drafted guys, you'll see Carl Lawson probably wanting a lot more money as well. But I, 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 the main point we talked about coming into this was definitely that 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 cornerback duo. If you can re-sign them, I think that's a very good position moving forward on a multi-year deal. Yeah, good point. And then you're not going to be chasing guys in the draft that maybe you reach for, and maybe you're, and you're not going to sign other corner free agents that you know may not be a proven commodity in your system. So, um. Yeah, I agree. Bringing back those two guys would be a good step. And, you know, when you guys mentioned the other teams in the division, it's in addition to being a tough passing division, it's a really tough run division. You know, the Ravens run the ball really well. I know the Steelers were a little up and down, but they're notoriously good with running the ball. And the Browns might have the best running game in the league. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the corners, we really need to start thinking about, you know, getting a nice thumper inside linebacker. And, you know, a little more help on the defensive line because it looks like Geno Atkins is on his way out as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's out. Sorry, Bob. Yeah, sorry, Jim. No, I love love Geno. I'm a Georgia fan, so any Georgia, uh, you know, Georgian, you know, coming from there, I I love them, all them players. You know, Geno's been, you know, one of the, you know, I I mean, he's had his flashes in his years, but he has always been a top, top guy at his position, you know, and it's just a shame that obviously I think you're right. I think, it's one of those things of that position, you know, age is going to catch up with him at some point, you know, it, that's just the way the league works. And that's how that position works. You know, they're constantly getting thumped. And I think obviously, like you pointed out, I um, mean, the interior defensive line uh, seems to be actually, and I think it's a really good point you pointed out. Um, obviously, like say, you've got the Browns running the balls really well, you know, that they've got some electric guys in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You've got the Ravens running it constantly. Obviously, Lamar Jackson's a great runner. You've got, you know, you've got loads of guys in this division that can run the ball. And it's just one of those things where, like you say, if you can at least clog up your interior defensive line 
whether that be in the draft, whether it be possibly free agency. I mean, I think today, funny enough, whilst we're recording this episode, I think the Panthers have cut K1 short, you know, as much as, uh, you know, we could talk about positions of need. There's, there's obviously quite a few holes in this roster for you guys. Would maybe, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, Frank. Do you think K1 short would be a guy you'd like to bring in? Maybe, I, I think he's going to demand a lot of money, but would you like to see him come in and plug in into that defensive line? Definitely. I'd love to see a seasoned veteran like that. And, you know, I'm an, I, I consider myself to be an expert on the Bengals. I don't watch all the teams as closely as I watch the Bengals. So I'm, I'm not going to, you know, proclaim this guy to be, you know, the next greatest interior lineman. But I know that he has had a good career there. He did command a big salary. So, you know, any help that you can bring in like that would would be beneficial at this point. But the real thing that I want to see them do, and I'm seeing the list of free agents that you punched up. I know a lot of Bengals fans are talking about getting another wide receiver, et cetera, et cetera. I want to see the ideal offseason for me would be for the Bengals to get four new offensive linemen. That doesn't mean they're going to kick everyone they have to the curb. They like Jonah Williams, but I'd like to see them draft, hopefully Sewell in the first round if he, if he comes around, and get another high draft pick on the offensive line and then grab two in free agency. And you just retool with four new offensive linemen. You keep Joe Burrow protected. And I think that's one of the formulas. You know, you look at teams like the Colts and the Browns, for instance, who I think have two of the best lines in the league. And it enabled those quarterbacks to have good seasons and go to the playoffs. Yeah, massively. Yeah, I, I think, think the, the beauty this year is, is such a it's such a um, deep draft class, uh, offensive tackle. So, you know, I think where you're, where you're picking quite high in the second round, you've got a very good chance that a couple of the sort of first guys that would have gone in the first round in previous years that might drop you, you know, sort of like Jalen Mayfield from Michigan or uh, Sam Cosme, Texas State, you know, you could potentially pick them up in the second round and put a, I mean, for me, I'd, I'd like to see you get a, a weapon on, in the first round if Saul doesn't drop, drop, like you say, Saul looks the best offensive tackle in this draft. But I think if he's not there at five, I would prefer to see you go for someone like Jamar Chase, who obviously played with, um, you know, played at LSU with Burrow. Yeah. So you're thinking of Burrow, weren't you? Like you were trying yeah. to think of the name there. Yeah. <laughs> so I like were talking about him quite a bit. Uh-huh. So there you go. <laughs> but, but you're right. If, Come on. You know, if we don't get Sewell, I would like to see Chase or even Pitts like get a weapon like that. So I do totally agree with you guys on that. Yeah, I think sort of what what I sort of looked at for you guys. I think because you're, I say in a unique position. Obviously, you got you know you got a lot of holes to fill. You know. There's going to be there's it's quite a job you know I wouldn't want to be the GM right now because there's you know there's got there's a lot to go by um, I think you're right I think I've we've been torn by this sort of coming up to this episode me and me and the keg and we I'm I'm sold on you know Joe Burrow is your best asset he's your number one pick you're paying him money obviously you want him to you want him to lead this team you know to a super Bowl. that's what you want him to do so the best thing about you know that situation. It's, it's to me it's simple you protect him as much as possible you know you've got I mean that you know that I say with the game with the injury we could go on about that you know we've mentioned it but the fact is like you say if you can draft a, a you know a decent a, a couple of decent linemen I mean even looking at this um free agency uh, sort of list I'm actually quite more sold on if you can pick up someone like Joe Fooney from from the Patriots obviously they've cut him I think he'd be a, a decent addition it depends how much money he's demanding but as a guard, you know, you can sort of plug him in straight away. If you draft someone, you know, you're, you're to start to rebuild that offensive line to project to, to sorry to protect Joe Burrow. I think to me is massively key here because he is your asset. 
you've spent some, you know, you are banking on him to lead this team. So I, I massively agree with you. I'm, I don't think Jimbo does as much, you know, but I do massively agree with you, Frank. I think you need protecting Joe Burrow to me is the number one priority for this. Agreed. And the one game that we actually gave him good protection, it was against the Titans because the Titans don't have a great pass rush. And for some reason, our offensive line just gelled in that game in particular. And Burrow was lighting it up. I'm like, oh, my God, imagine if he had this kind of protection every game, what he'd be doing. And like I said, yeah. you saw what happened with the great like Mahomes in the Super Bowl with no protection. Yeah. Exactly. You can't do it all. And, you know, if, if Patrick Mahomes has just proven that, you know, with, with the fact that without protection, it all, it all starts in the trenches. If you can't keep a quarterback upright, I mean, there's, you know, it doesn't seem too much point. Delay the game. Five-yard penalty. Um, I suppose we'll sort of move on straight into it. Um, if you had to pick, let's just call it one guy. We're not going to go massively, you know, all into, you know, there's a lot of guys on here. Obviously, you've got a lot of, you know, there's some decent free agents this year because um, as much as you were pointing out, Jimbo, with the wide receiver option, obviously it'd be nice to get Shamar Chase in the draft or possibly Devontae Smith, you know, depending what you want to do at number five. But, you know, I, I've pointed out the argument that there is a deep wide receiver free agency class this year. You know, you've got some guys... That, that are going to want to demand big money. But like we've pointed out, obviously with the cap situation and the cap issues of what's going to happen, teams are going to have less money. So you're going to get guys that that should potentially get more money that won't get as much money because obviously of, of the market and how much money is left available for each team in the league. I mean, would you like to see maybe you pick up like a cheaper guy as a wide receiver or would you maybe like to sit more in the draft? I would, I think I would rather draft a young receiver than grab, you know, a guy from the list that I'm seeing in front of me. I mean, Will Fuller is interesting. Um, you know, Sammy Watkins even, but I think those guys are going to want more money than we're willing to part with at this point. Yeah. I mean, like you say, I think there's, you know, you've got more needs on, on sort of both lines, you know, the interior defensive line and on the offensive line, you know, to sort of be paying big money on a on a wide receiver when you can sort of address that in the draft even if you don't address it early on you know you exactly. pick up a nice Boyd and, Boyd and Higgins although you know people claim that neither one of them is a number one receiver but Boyd and Higgins are very productive you have Wooden Tate coming back so you know there are some receivers on the roster and that's how it is with a guy like Burrow you know you can get maybe some fourth round speedster wide receiver and a guy like Burrow can make him into a star you know look at what the great quarterbacks do you know, anyone who played with Tom Brady was was very productive. Mahomes has a stable of productive receivers that maybe if they were on other teams, some of those guys wouldn't be, you know, as big as they are right now. Yeah, no, I think that's, no, that's, I think that's a good point. That's a very good point. I think, um, yeah, obviously that's, that's the way you two are more similar page than I am with that. But that's cool. Like, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a very good option, like you say. You know, there's better options later on in the draft. And like you say, I think I actually really like T Higgins. You know, he had a really good rookie year. I think that's very, very underrated. Like you've pointed out, Frank, massively, because I think he had a really good successful year as a rookie. You know, Joe Burrow relied on him. He used him a lot, you know, and, and I say Tyler Boyd's no, no one to be sniffed at either. Like he's, he's a productive weapon as well. So it's not like Joe Burrow hasn't got anything to work with. We haven't even mentioned Joe Mixon when he can come back healthy. And obviously Giovanni Bernard, you know, that he has got some, nice pieces there I think is is mainly about the protection on that one so on that front we'll move towards straight into mainly we'll go and we'll, we'll sort of talk about the draft so I'll sort of lead you a little bit Jimbo because I, I me and yeah. me and the keg of 
funny enough, this is the first sort of episode where we've actually talked about what we're actually thinking about, you know, drafting for a team where we're on complete opposite ends because I know what I'd like to do and I know, and he knows what he'd like to do. So I'll let you lead uh, the cake. I'll let you lead, Jimbo. Yeah, so I mean, for me, I think if Saul's there at five, which I don't think he will be, I think I think he'll be gone by then. Um, if he's there, I think take him. If not, I, I really like the idea of bringing in Jamar Chase and giving Barry that weapon. I mean, like you've said, you know, they could sort of pick someone up in the fourth and you know, make him a star. But I think that Jamar Chase is just, you know, saying else and he could really be someone to take over AJ Green's mantle, if you like. Yeah, I mean, Bill, you you very driven on a offensive line, I believe, I aren't think, you? I think for me, I'll sort of point out my sort of prediction here. I think, you know, obviously draft night, anything can happen. You know, we, we, we've got to mention, obviously, you know, we're Falcons fans. We're only just above you. You know, so there's obviously that I think there's going to be a lot of trades in the top ten. I, I'm I'm sold on it. I think there's so much talk this off season, everything going on, that there is going to be a lot of trades going on. But there is a chance that yeah, it depends on what happens. Obviously, going ahead of you guys at five, but if it, you know, there could be some trade opportunities there. But I, I'm so sold. Like like I said, I, I'm more. I'd rather give Joe Burrow protection than give him a decent weapon over the lineman. So let's just say if it's a choice between Jamar Chase and Panay Suel, I'm picking Panay Suel. I think, you know, from what his grade is and what I've seen of him, he's absolutely a freak of nature for his size. You know, he could protect Joe for probably 10 plus years. You know, you're talking that type of player. Um, as much as I like Jamar Chase and obviously Joe used to play with him, that's obviously um, something that I think the GM's going to take into consideration, obviously, if them two are there. I'd like to put you on the spot a little bit, I, I, um, Frank. So we'll obviously going to what you would like to do in the draft. But if Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell are there, out of a, out of a flip of a coin, who who would you take? Hundred hundred percent on Sewell there, and you know the the fringe benefit to that is that now you have this left tackle that that is relatively cheap for the next four or five years. You know, if you try to get a left tackle in free agency, you're going to be paying lots and lots of money. But, you know, if it's a first-round draft pick, you know, he's going to get a couple million, but it's not the same as having to fill that hole in free agency. So I'm definitely behind getting an offensive lineman over anything in the first round. Yeah, I mean, are you open to sort of trading down if Saul's not there and sort of picking up a different offensive lineman? I mean, say say Saul goes, you've still got Chase there. I mean, would you trade, are you happy to trade down and sort of, you know, give yourself a little bit more to go after some more guys? That's a that's a good idea, and it, it can have its benefits, but I almost feel like in any draft, you have those top-of-the-draft guys, maybe the top five, six, seven guys that are elite, and then there's a little bit of a drop-off normally. I haven't studied all the draft picks that came out this year, but when you're picking in that top five, I like to sit tight unless they throw a king's ransom at you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, I think that's what we particularly want, and we're only just above you, so I think it's going to be quite interesting on draft night of what actually happens. I think um, one sort of name I'll point out to you, obviously you mentioned how important, um, obviously to get someone on this linebacking court, you know, to, to give that, a, at least give Josh Bynes someone to, to work with, you know, I think that could be, you know, you've got to build that sort of middle of the field quite well for defense. Um, Mika Parsons from Penn State. I mean, he's outstanding. I've, I've watched some of his tape and he, he is a hundred percent a top five talent. He's in a lot of um, into big boards. He is top five just maybe out of, like, he's that type of player. Um, I mean, I've even thought about if we could draft him, depending on what happens at four. But 
if he's there, do you think he'd be a nice option or would you rather take maybe a linebacker come second round, probably further on in the draft? Yeah, well, you know, that's been our history. We, we take linebackers in the third, fourth, fifth rounds and hope they pan out. And it's we've really had problems with that. So and I just started seeing tape on the player that you mentioned to myself. And he would be a nice addition there. And I don't know if Bynes is coming back next year either. And the two guys we drafted last year look to be more third down linebackers. So we are going to need some help in the middle. And I don't think you're going to get that in the third and fourth round. So it's either grab him early if, if it falls that way or try to get in free agency. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not sure how you feel on that, Jimbo. But we, I mean, I've talked about, I like Parsons. Parsons is one of my favorite um, prospects in the draft. I've mentioned that a lot of times. I've even mentioned even possibly pending what happens with Atlanta, they take him at four. Like, how do you feel about Parsons in the middle, Jim? Do you think it could be a better option for them? I know you're yeah, sold I mean, on the wide receiver, but... Yeah, I think it's an option. I think you could address it in the second round. You know, you're high up in the second round. If if, if not, you know, um, it all depends who's there, really, doesn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah, it, it's a difficult one to sort of go by. Anything can happen on draft night. I think it's going to be one of the most excited drafts in a while. I hope I haven't given it the kiss of death there because I'm hoping for a good night when that <laughs> happens on, especially in the first round. Um, sort of, maybe not, I'll sort of put you on the spot a little bit, Frank. So what we've sort of done, we've sort of asked people about what their best options would be. So if I had to give you, if you had a choice of free agency, if you had to pick the one guy that you would like to pick up in free agency and also what you would like to do at five, what, what, what is your dream scenario uh, for going forward with the Bengals in this one? If we don't get Sewell with the fifth, and I know this is a little bit of a reach, but Trent Williams, I know he's 33 years old, but he's been playing well every place he's been. You know, every, he's just a solid player. I think you can get a guy in like that. And, you know, for a couple of years, he can protect Burrow's blind side, almost like Andrew Whitworth when he left the Bengals and went to the Rams. You know, they went to the Super Bowl with, with Goff there, and a lot of it was because of Whitworth protecting him. And Whitworth leaving the Bengals coincided with us not making the playoffs for a bunch of years. So, you know, I understand the importance of a left tackle. I'd rather go for the young one, but if not, let's let's get a veteran that that is proven at that position. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. You know, we've mentioned Trent, Trent Rich, uh, sorry, Trent Williams coming when we talked about other teams that need a left tackle. Like you say, as much as he's an older guy, he is hundred percent probably worth that money. If you if if team is going to give him maybe a one or two year deal. Let's call it, you know, obviously he's going to put up in age. I don't think teams are going to chuck a massive multi-year deal with him, but he is hundred percent a valuable option to pick up as a guy. Cause like you say, wherever he's gone, he's done well, you know, like, and I think someone like a proper veteran on that offensive line can help rebuild that as a strength as well. I think a lot of people don't take the veteran leadership in, into account. You know, you've got some veterans on a team that can really give some leadership into young guys, depending whatever position group they're in. I think, especially on your offensive lines, like you said, if you if you if you have your dream scenario and you'd like to see Cincinnati basically rebuild it from scratch, bar Jonah Williams, I think he'd be a fantastic option there. You'd have Jonah Williams and then Trent Williams, both Williams at bookend tackles. I think that's a very good step stepping forward. I think Joe Burrow would be very happy um, come whatever happens on free agency night on that one. Agree. Yeah. Should we uh, move on to some way too early predictions? <laughs> Oh, if we, oh, yeah, we're going to have to. I mean, it, it's one of those. It, we, we've done this for every episode, Frank, so we're going to have to ask you. Obviously, it's way, way, way too early. Obviously, it does depend what happens on draft night. It depends what happens you guys do in free agency. But in terms of looking for next year, if everything goes well, 
in terms of free agency, uh, what you'd like to do in the draft, and also if Joe Burrow can knock on wood, stay healthy. Uh, what can you see your Bengals achieving next year? What what, what can you realistically see as a, as their record for next year? Well, I always joke around when someone asks me to give a prediction because no matter what they look like, no matter who's on the team, I always say eleven and five. So I'll start by saying <laughs> eleven and five. But you know, I'm I'm probably I'm probably a little crazy for saying that. I think a good year would be to get Burrow back and to have him not be shell shocked and and afraid to step into throws and you know like skittish when people around his legs. You know, if he can just come back with confidence and play like he did this year, you know, a 500, a 500 year would be good for us. You know, it's, it's going to be tough surpassing those teams in our division. We have to play him twice, but Pittsburgh looks like they might be on the decline. And, uh, you know, Cleveland's always a big time rival. So let's say best case scenario, you know, they get a couple big free agents. They rebuild the offensive line. Burrow's healthy. I, I can't go too low on their wins. I, I mean, I'll say eight and eight, nine and seven at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very fair. I think, you know, the, the, I think your main problem is this, the toughness of division. You know, you've got some very difficult sides to beat. But I think if you're right, if you if you do get them guys in and give him the protection, last season you were well on well on the way to sort of get in eight and eight at one point. You know, before the injury and stuff. And I think that's probably a, a fair way, fair place to aim. I'm going to sort of have you a little bit lower on that, just just on the base of your division, sort of like a six and ten mark as a, you know, an early prediction. But it's it's way too early to say, like we say. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a very good point that you mentioned, Frank. Like I say, if if you can get that offensive line to at least give Joe a bit more protection and a bit more comfortability, that's going to help him in his progression. You know, moving forward as a as a as a pro and obviously as a quarterback for you guys. So if you can get things right and you can draft some nice players and you can get something out of whoever you sign in free agency, I, I do think if you can get to eight and eight at a 500 year, I think that's a very good stepping stone. And I think that's going to, you know, very much keep Zach Taylor very optimistic moving with the team because it means that you're going to move on with less needs to fill if you have that type of year. You know, you're going to have that coming on to next year. So I think if you can get it to eight and eight, I think, I mean, I've got you at realistically, I think best case scenario, seven and nine. And, you know, if it really goes down south, I've got you at four and 12. But obviously, knock on wood, we hope that doesn't happen. I think that's more to the case of if Joe Burrow can't stay healthy, you know, it's all that type of thing. We we, we have to hope his knee, you know, his, his knee goes well. You know, we don't want to wish that on any player. So I, think I, hope you, he... I think you make a good point as well when you say, like, it's, it's important that he doesn't, you know, skit away from challenges and stuff like that and, it, some players do come back from injuries, a completely different player and stuff. So I think that's going to be more important for you next year is just making sure he's he's okay and he's, you know, gets back to that level he was starting to show. Yeah, he seems to be a unique one from everything I've analyzed about him. He's, he's very headstrong, very confident without being cocky. And it seems like, you know, he's willing to put in the hard work. He came from nothing. So, you know, it seems like if anyone's going to be able to come back and not be that, shell of themselves i think that joe burrow would be one of the leading candidates to you know to come back just as good if not better than he was yeah definitely so definitely agree on the other frank uh, i think that's going to cap it off for us um can't thank you enough thank you very very much for taking the time out to uh, to join us uh, frank they'll say real news this we're starting doing our guests throughout the off-season talk as a series of ours so i really appreciate that you coming on and spending the time with us here thank you very much Oh, I had such a great time, Midge Keg. It was it was really cool. I wish you luck with with the show. You know, keep doing what you're doing. You guys are pros, so you know. Hope that we get to do this again. 
Yes, no, definitely so. We'll definitely, yes, definitely so. That's it, guys. Thank you very, very much for listening. That's a give uh, the unofficial Bengals podcast a follow and definitely give them a listen. Their content's great. Obviously, we're on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. So share the love, guys. Give us a follow. Check us out. But for now, thank you very, very much. We'll catch you next time. Stay safe. Take care. Catch you soon.